kind of excited about how that would go, and I, w- I want to thank uh, uh, Kim and, and Mark and uh, Todd and Danny for helping us out with that, and we might have to do that one again sometime, but when we were talking about that this week, we were recognizing that in Scripture, Scripture talks a lot about putting on the armor or putting on clothing or putting on Christ as though it's a garment. And, and you know, if you ever had a chance as a child to do that, that probably made you feel like, hey, this is what I might be one day. In 2 Corinthians, we've been talking about the resurrection. We've been talking about our future in heaven. In 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about putting on our new bodies. And I don't think we stop and think enough about what our future looks like. You know, we ask these children, what do you want to be when you grow up? We're so used to that. We're so used to talking to our children and other children about that. We even talk to you about that all the way up into college, don't we? I mean, some of you are only a few days away from graduation. And we still say, when we sneak into it, we go, what are you majoring in? You know, and then you tell us something like arts and sciences, and we say, what are you going to do with that? You know, I used to get that a lot. Anyway, the, uh, I'm still figuring it out. But we want to know what you're going to be when you grow up. Whatever age you are here today, I want you to come into this sermon this morning with this question in your mind. What do you want to be when you grow up? Because... I don't care how old you are, this is not your future. This is not your future. You are still in process and you are growing up. And Paul says that in 2 Corinthians 5. He gets us to think about what it means to put on the garment of our future life. I'm going to read this from the New English Translation. And um, I'm going to be reading from 2 Corinthians 5, 1-19. Paul says, we know that if our earthly house, the tent that we live in, is dismantled, we have a building from God. A house not built by human hands, that is, eternal in the heavens. For in this earthly house we groan, because we desire to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed, after we have put on our heavenly house, we'll not be found naked. For we groan while we're in this tent, since we are weighed down, because We don't want to be unclothed, but clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up in life. Now, the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. Therefore, we're always full of courage, and we know that as long as we are alive here on earth, we are absent from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. Thus we're full of courage and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So then, whether we are alive or away, we make it our ambition to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be paid back according to what he has done while in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, because we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people, but we are well known to God, and I hope we are well known to your consciences too. We are, trying, we are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to be proud of us so that you may be able to answer those who take pride in outward appearance and not on what is in the heart. For if we're out of our minds, it's for God. If we are of sound mind, it's for you. 
For the love of Christ controls us, since we have concluded this, that Christ died for all, therefore all have died. And He died so that for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but live for Him who died for them and was raised. So, from now on, we acknowledge no one from an outward human point of view. Even though we have known Christ from such a human point of view, now we do not know Him in that way any longer. So then, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. What is old has passed away. And look, what is new has come. And all these things are from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and who has given us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting people's trespasses against them. And He has given us this message of reconciliation. This is the Word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that through the work of Paul, through the work of others, through the work of faithful scribes and copyists and faithful churches, we have this Word to guide us. We know that this is Your way of revealing Your will to us. And Father, we thank You also for the down payment of the Spirit. I ask now that You would be with us as hearers and be with me as a speaker and a teacher. And may we all be obedient to this Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. In what you saw up here, and kids, I want you to know this too, that Every adult who was up here, our four friends who were up here, even me, I am shaped by the child that I was. By the things that I learned as a child, by the things that I did as a child, I'm shaped by that. Some of it I've had to overcome. Some of it was good. It's the same way with you, and it's the same way with every adult. You were shaped by the child that you once were, one way or another, for both good and bad. Now, every child, though, is shaped by the adult that they strive to become. That even as a child, even as a young person, there's some sense in what you want to be doing in the future that shapes you even now. It's not perfect. We may not be able to foresee everything that's going to happen to us. Just like if we look back at our childhood, it may not be perfect. But it doesn't have to define us. I want you to remember this lesson that you saw here, just the simplicity of it, to remember That you and I need to look around. I mean, I'm telling you right now, look around at the people with you right here. Look around at home with the people around you. Do you understand that you are looking at people who are made for eternity? Do you understand that there is within everyone here the image of God impressed on them in some way? I think we take it for granted. We don't see that. Even the people that we don't necessarily Like, even the people that we're suspicious of, even the people that we see, you know, maybe on television or on the news and they seem far away, and we just decide that all of those people are the problem. They're God's children, and they're made for eternity. And if we're in Christ and we're a new creation, we can't see them the same way anymore. Paul, in this scripture, and you can read 2 Corinthians 5 on your own, and you'll see over and over again, he uses a a, a lot of contrasts. He, He gives us one image and then another, and he says it's like this here, but it's like this also. And he takes us through all of these contrasts. The main contrast that he gets to is tent and house. 
Now just think about it. Even the young people can think about this. You know the difference between a tent and a house. One is a rather temporary structure. One is a little more permanent. One will keep the rain off your head. One does a little bit more. He says if we live in this earthly tent, and he's talking about our bodies, he's talking about this life right here. It's earthly, it's made for the earth, it's made for getting through this life, it's temporary, and you know what, Just it, it also it wears out. It wears out and it's going to be taken down and it's going to collapse one day. And while we're in this tent, traveling along like exiles, like nomads in the desert, we groan. We groan because we want to exchange the tent for a more permanent house. That house is going to be heavenly. That house is going to be eternal. That house is going to be not, not, not made by human effort, but made by God. And so we have hope for that. Now he's actually talking about our physical bodies as tent and as house. And he says it's not that we just want to give up the tent. Because a lot of our thinking today is that this, this sort of meat tent that we live in, where we wander around in flesh and blood, that when we die, we're leaving it behind, and we're going to be Casper the friendly ghost just going around immaterial everywhere. That thinking is out there. And I want to tell you today, Paul says, that thinking is not good. Our destiny is not to become ghosts. Be, you know, just being a disembodied spirit is not a good thing, says Paul. Ghosts just don't really fit into the plan. I mean, what's the point of it? You ever notice that just about every movie about ghosts is bad? You know, it's, they're, really, they're really not that great. I always got annoyed by Casper. Bill Cosby made a movie called Ghost Dad. That should be a warning to all of us that it's not a good thing right there. Okay, That movie is bad on so many levels. He says, we're not just giving up this old, you know, decayed body and then we become disembodied spirits and everything's better. That's a very Gnostic idea. He said, we want an upgrade. We want an upgrade to this body. We don't want to be unclothed. We don't want our spirit to be disembodied. We want better clothing. And, and the, the term that he's using there is, is just like a jacket. He's saying... It's not that I'm exchanging clothing, but what I'm doing is I'm going to put additional clothing on my clothing because it's going to either keep me warmer or it's going to make me look better or sharper or maybe it's like a uniform. It tells you who I am, but it's an additional, it's an it's a extra clothing. He says we want to be better clothed. And so this resurrection hope that we have this future that we have the way we see it is even though we live in these decaying bodies we're going to exchange them they're going to be swallowed up by life and the mortal is swallowed up by life this is the second time Paul's used that term he used it in 1 Corinthians 15 where death is swallowed up in life and he's taking this from Isaiah so the tent to the house tells us something about not only who we are, but who we will be, who we're going to be when we truly grow up to eternity. Now, how do we know this? How, does any, you know, how do we know that this isn't just some fairy tale? Well, we've seen it. And in the lessons that we've been teaching here, 
we've mentioned a few times. First of all, it was seen in the transfiguration of Jesus. The witnesses who went up on the mountain with Jesus, they saw His resurrected eternal glory. It was seen in the resurrected Jesus. Not only was it seen, but it was acknowledged. Somebody came by and asked those guards guarding that tomb, what happened to the body? And they had to come up with an answer, or their lives were forfeit. And word was that this body that was dead in the tomb, he's living again now. But it's not just the same old body, it's the same old body and then some. It has the marks of the old body, but it, he's able to go and do and to be in ways that are beyond what we understand. But there were witnesses to it. There's one more bit of evidence about this, and it's something that you and I may take for granted. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we have the down payment on this eternity and on this eternal body. We've got the down payment of the Holy Spirit. It's the earnest money. It's the deposit. Now, you may wonder, what's that like? And and I'm going to admit to you, I've wondered for years, what is that like? Well, you and I don't know what it's like to live in a world without the Holy Spirit. Because not many of us were around before the age of Pentecost. We don't know what it's like for God's Spirit to to not interface with the earth. I dare say if we could travel in time and go back before that, we we might have our attention rattled by what it's like to be in a world where God's Spirit is not evidently present. We probably take it granted, as granted as we take the light that is in the, you know, in the universe, as we take it for granted, just like we take for granted the air that we breathe, you don't miss it or notice it until it's gone. The assurances that we have, and when our assurance in this eternity is magnified, it is the down payment of that Holy Spirit in us. It's one of the reasons why we come together to worship. It's one of the reasons why we come around the Lord's Supper table. Because we want that spiritual presence of Jesus to give us assurance. And Paul says there's two assurances that we get. We know, we are assured that living in this body is temporary. When we start thinking about eternity and when we start thinking about our heavenly home, as we start aging and feeling the aches and pains of this temporary tent, let me tell you, you know, my tent's starting to break down. And like anything that breaks down, you have that moment where you send off for new parts and they say, we don't make it for your model anymore. I'm getting there. Okay? You're like, sorry, you, you just duct tape. That might be all you've got going for you. You know, you have to hold it together. We know that this body's temporary and we know that we are in exile from the Lord, that we don't quite belong here. In fact, let me say to you, however young you are, The sooner you realize that you weren't made for this life in this world, the better off you're going to be. Now, the other assurance that you have is that while you are here, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay because you're content with the down payment. The down payment says, oh yeah, you're getting the rest of it. It's coming, and it'll come in God's time. And we can press on. Now, there's a, there's a saying there that you, you might have thought, oh, that's very familiar. I've heard that a lot. We live by faith, not by sight. And that phrase is usually taken to mean we live in sort of a blind trust. 
Uh, this just becomes the Star Wars moment, you know, the one at the end. Uh, yeah, by the way, if you haven't seen Star Wars yet, uh, spoilers, but, you know, the, the statute of limitations is off on that, folks. Um, but, you know, Luke's going to shoot the, you know, the, the laser beams or whatever they are. I'm not being very competent right now with my Star Wars lore. But, you know, he's going to fire it down the air conditioning vent of the, of the Death Star and blow it all up. Why on earth they made it with that critical flaw, I'll never know. I guess it's something you have to do if you have a planet-destroying space station. But anyway, he's going to do it in his computer. He's sitting there looking, and he can't quite get it to aim. And old, ghostly Obi-Wan Kenobi, see, those ideas are still out there. Old, ghostly Obi-Wan Kenobi says, use the false, Luke. And, and, he, and he just kind of turns off all of his instruments and just, oh, he's going to you know, fire the laser, fight with the lightsaber, and you're going to do better. This is what we sometimes think about this verse, that we walk by faith, not by sight. That what we're supposed to do is just blindly walk along and say, oh, God, help us. Am I making you nervous? You know, it's, we're, just, we're supposed to just walk along and not see anything. That's not what this means. Sight here is not your ability to see. Sight here is what you see. How many times in this scripture has Paul talked about appearances? When he says we live by faith, not by sight, he means that we are learning to see things the way God sees things, not to see things just based on outward appearance. We don't view anyone or anything from a merely human point of view anymore, is what Paul says. But how much effort and how much attention do we make? How much energy and how much money is being forced on us to create appearances. Political campaigns spend unrealistic amounts of money to create an image to get you to vote for something that's not true. We spend tons of money to create images for ourselves, or we spend a lot of time trying to create a persona for ourselves online and we want people to know us as that. And all it is, is pixels and photographs. We need to live by trust in God, not by appearances. The down payment of the Holy Spirit assures us that what is eternal is not the stuff that we immediately see. So those quick judgments, those, those first appearances... They might matter to a certain extent, but they're not the eternal things. Now, Paul says that because of that down payment then, whether we're here away from the Lord or we're at home with the Lord one day, our goal and our mission never changes. Our mission is to always please the Lord. We're going to do whatever it takes to please the Lord. Because if we do that, we're always going to do the right thing, whether we're away or whether we're at home. Hey, uh, young people, you've seen those terms before, haven't you? Especially if you play sports, home and away, right? You know, if you're the home team, you're playing on your own, uh, you know, your own baseball diamond, your own field, your own court, whatever it is. If you're the away team, you're playing on somebody else's field or court. Mm-hmm. What's your objective if you're home and what's your objective if you're away? It's always to win, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, there's some sports teams that decide that it's their objective to lose when they're away, but we're not going to talk about that. What you're supposed to do is you're supposed to 
play the game. Whether you're on the home field or the away field, you play the game. And whether we're at home in this world or away from the Lord or at home with God in heaven, we're going to please Him. That is our mission. And so this all gives us a new perspective. And there's three words starting with C here so you can remember it, all right? One is, he talks about credibility. That's verses uh, 10, 11, and 12. In verses 10, 11, and 12, he says, We see the truth about this world. That we know that the things of this world are not forever. We know that the, that the momentary aches and pains, the, 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 you know, the obstacles that we face, they are not what's eternal. We see the truth about this world. That it's broken and that God is redeeming it. And we want to persuade others to see it. If we want to please God, then what we're doing is we're persuading others to see it. Not because we need them to see things our way, but they need to see things God's way. It's not for our sake that we want to persuade people. It's for their sake. So much of what we call evangelism and outreach, we tend to think, well, we need more people so that we'll have more people filling this pew here so that we can have more tithes and offerings coming in. And that's one of the reasons why the world sometimes doesn't understand what we're doing because we've thought of it that way. The truth is, We need to alert people to the fact that, hey, all these things that we're all busy and worried about, that's not what matters. What makes you valuable is not what you do, it's not how much money you have, it's not what you're able to produce, it's not how smart you are, it's not how many likes you have on social media, it's none of that. What makes you valuable is that God has given you the down payment of the Holy Spirit. He loves you, He cares about you, and He is making a heavenly house for you to dwell in. That's going to replace this old tent that's going to fall down one day. We have this new perspective because we have a conviction. And this is the conviction we can hold on to. If there's any part of this scripture that I'd want you to underline, it's verses 14 and 15. We are convicted that one died for all so that the living might live for the one who died and was raised. This is that exchange. This is that contrast that he's been pointing out. Christ died for us. And so we die to ourself and we live for him. He died for us. We live for him. He was raised. We'll be raised. That's our conviction. And if we're convicted of that, then it helps us stay on that pleasing God mission and keeps us with this new perspective. And finally, it changes the way that we consider everything. No one. We don't see anyone based on the flesh. We're learning now how not to do that. I want to encourage you. Don't worry about what people see on the surface. Don't worry about how other people seem to you on the surface. We spend so much time Trying to get people to notice us online. We spent so much time trying to get people to notice us out in the world. And really, we need to be noticing people for who they are in God's image. And it's none of our business what other people think about us. All we care about is what God sees in us. That's, you know... I mean, he gets into that judgment talk. We're all going to go before the the court of Jesus and we're all going to have to give 
and answer, be accountable for the things we've done, whether it's good or whether, whether it's worth something or worth nothing. He's just saying that when you put that in perspective, does it really matter how the different courts of judgment in this world see us? No. Because in Christ, everything is a new creation. He's not saying everything will be a new creation. He says everything is a new creation. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. You're humanity 2.0. You are already, with that down payment, living into the future that God is going to give you. And it's at this point that some of you may be saying, well, that's all neat and nice, but so what? Ah, Good. I'm glad you're asking that. Because this isn't just a bunch of uh, uh, theological meditation. This matters. This matters a whole lot. And as Paul says here, it matters because of what he's calling reconciliation. This word reconciliation is like making change. I can go over here to this bucket and I can take out one dollar bill. Or if I have one of those old machines that doesn't take paper money, I can exchange it for four quarters. You know it's the same. It equals the same, but it's different kind of substances. That's what reconciliation is. You're exchanging one uh, set of matter for another set of matter, but it's the same. God's reconciled Himself to us. He's restoring the relationship. All the offenses that we have had against Him, He's setting those aside. And now what he's exchanging it for, he's saying, you give me those offenses, we're going to take care of those. We're going to take care of those in Jesus. And now what I want to place on you is this assignment of reconciliation. If I called it the ministry of reconciliation, then I'm afraid that three-fourths of you are going to tune out and say, ah, ministry of reconciliation. You take care of that, Benjamin. All you folks that are all theological, you take care of that. No, this is all of us. Because it's not just a ministry, it's a service. It's an assignment. We have this assignment then. To live reconciled to God. To be reconcilers with one another. We reconcile with the Lord. We say, God, thank you for giving me this new life. I thank you that I have a future in you and you've given me the down payment. And I thank you that I can live that out even now. And then I have to turn that reconciliation towards others. Who am I? Not to show grace and forgiveness to others when He has forgiven me. Who am I to hold stuff against others, to to consider that one group of people is a problem? Who am I? Who are you to do that when He has given us this assignment and this gift of reconciliation? You know why it matters? Because... We're going to be at this a very long time, and He is preparing us for that heavenly house. You know I'm a fan of C.S. Lewis. I hope one day in eternity I get to meet him. Lewis says in his book, The Weight of Glory, and I'll close with this. It may be possible for each of us to think too much of his own potential glory hereafter. It is hardly possible for him to think too often or too deeply about that of his neighbor. He says, we always wonder what we're going to be like in heaven. We always wonder what it's going to be like for us, what kind of body we're going to have in heaven. He says, have you ever stopped to think about what it'll be like 
for the people around you? There are no ordinary people, says Lewis. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is as to our life like the life of gnats. There are no ordinary people. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. As we sing. Before the throne 